morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together out loud, chapter by chapter. This is a this is a big one. This is one of the ones that's more well known. David and Bathsheba, Second Samuel chapter eleven. You know, it's uh, it really is something, right? We got to talk about this Bathsheba, right? The way that she is remembered. Um, I mean, is is it is it right the way that we look back at this? Is this sort of like how you know uh, Rahab, right? In what we've learned about in the narrative in Judges, or rather Joshua, you know, it's called Rahab the prostitute. Um, is that the right way to remember her? You know, what's the nature of this sin, and well, to what extent is it? Uh, shared in the culpability of all the participants. You know, these are just kind of the questions that I think that we kind of take for granted. So it'll be interesting to maybe challenge our assumptions today. We're joined by our guest, Pastor Warren Worth, pastor at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Arnold, Missouri. Welcome back, brother. Good to have a conversation with you again. How are you doing Thank along you. with the uh, brothers and sisters in Arnold? I'm glad to be with you, and we're doing okay. Thank you. In the midst of this pandemic, thankfully, uh, we're we're doing all right, and pray that uh, you are as well, and our listeners are too. Yeah. Yes. Uh, thanks be to God, and uh, thank you. We. Uh, yeah. We, we're actually, by God's grace, do, doing pretty well. You know, the thing that was kind of interesting. Uh, put it mildly, it was uh, the fires that broke out here in Orange County. And so we were in the situation where it was like, okay, there's fires, there's ash raining from the sky, don't go outside. Oh, yeah, but it's COVID-19. So so don't go out. Hang on, what? So now, you, now you can't stay inside to distance, you know, so it was kind of a breakdown of the social order for like a couple of days. But, oh um, my! So you and <laughs> and yours are all okay where you are. But we're but yeah no we're we're just we're just fine uh, by God's grace. It wasn't. It, it was actually thankfully just kind of. I think really up in the foothills where there weren't a lot of buildings or people. So that was that was good. Wow, this has been quite a year. May the it, Lord it hasn't it been, and it's about to get more interesting people. on Tuesday. <laughs> that is true too. May the Lord <laughs> help us there as well. Yeah, amen. Amen. Well, uh, without any further ado, let's go ahead and turn to this chapter. Would you start us off as a pr- with a prayer before we get going? I would be happy to do so. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord God, Heavenly Father, you have given us your gracious word, both to show us our sin, but also to show us our Savior, Jesus, and the forgiveness of sins that he won for us. Help us as we study this key chapter of the Bible— to see not only David's sin, but also our own. And by the power of your Spirit, may we repent of our sin and find in Jesus full forgiveness and the power of your Holy Spirit to walk in newness of life, to the glory of your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I I like what you said there, a key chapter of the Bible. It really is amazing how key the whole chapter is. You think about it, um, I mean, just how much of the, the Psalter, right, ultimately goes back to this, um, including some of, you know, the penitential Psalms. Uh, you right. think about how, I mean, really, um, in the same way that the the uh, the order to destroy and wipe out the Amalekites was uh, central, and Saul's disobedience was central to 1 Samuel, um, this seems to be in many ways central to 2 Samuel. I, I mean, it, it just, it, for, for a... What well, I guess what we would say, you know, an indiscretion or something like this today, we we, we downplay these things. Uh, that it's it's pretty focal. I mean, it just it changes everything. 
It does. It, it, it is sort of a, like a continental divide in some ways, isn't it? Because you have David's life and how faithful he had been, and then this incident of terrible stumbling and falling into sin. And of course, not to steal the thunder from the next speaker, but <laughs> chapter 12, then the restoration, which is a, yeah. a wonderful, wonderful thing that we all find comfort in. But uh, this, this chapter has uh, instruction. It has warning for us all. Uh, it's instructive to how Satan works. Even uh, when you think that you're at the top of your game, um, nobody is uh, impervious to temptation. Nobody is invincible. And certainly when we rely on our own strength, we are certain to fall. Uh, cer- certainly. I, I think we we will see in a lot of ways um, how we we really can see ourselves in David's place here. Um, well, is there anything else that we should add um, just by way of introduction or uh, things that tie into uh, the context? Um, you know, we're going to have Uriah the Hittite mentioned. I don't know if there's anything that there's kind of uh, contextualizing that or any, any of the other details maybe just before we read it. Well, again, if you if our listeners have been following along in Second Samuel, you know that uh, you know David has uh, been anointed king, and King Saul, who had preceded him and had fallen from grace, was uh, finally uh, killed in battle, as God had said he would be, and then David took his rightful place on the throne, and. Things are going very well. I mean, uh, uh, he's successful. Uh, he wins victory after victory. And before this chapter, it talks about, uh, it kind of summarizes his uh, exploits as a warrior, the battles and the victories that he had won. And already, you know, before this, and when Saul was still living, you know, you have the whole thing with David and Goliath and people mm-hmm. singing, you know, uh, Saul has killed his thousands, but David is 10,000. So David was... Uh, victorious and so forth, and which was part of the reason Saul hated him, uh, because he was uh, kind mm-hmm. of more popular than Saul himself was. Yeah. And now after Saul is, is dead, David is on the throne, uh, things are going well. He's, he's winning victories, or rather mm-hmm. the Lord is winning victories for him, through him. And so that kind of sets us up to this, where now he's... Uh, successful, he's prosperous, you know, he wanted to build a, a temple for the Lord, and he's already received a revelation that, no, you're not the one to do it, but a son mm-hmm. who will come from your loins will be the one to do it, and I'm going to build a house for you. So you have the wonderful messianic promises made to this man, whom God describes as a man after his own heart. So a faithful man, a man in whom the Holy Spirit was dwelling, a man through whom God did wonderful right. and mighty things. And and as we said, this is kind of a pivotal chapter because after this, uh, and even after Jesus, uh, after uh, he's restored, after David is restored and, and brought to repentance and is forgiven, uh, his life is not the same. Things uh, there, there's trouble in his family. Uh, there's rebellion. Uh, so there's other things that will happen later in the book, and as the history of Israel uh, continues there, that are kind of a, the earthly consequences of David's sin that's recorded in this chapter. So it's, it's a very sobering reminder of how important it is to follow the Lord, to be faithful to the Lord, and how 
vulnerable we all are, you know, with might of ours cannot be done, as we sing in that great Reformation <laughs> hymn. Right. You know, soon, soon were our loss effected. And Right. And we see that in a very sobering way That's right. in the case of David and Bathsheba. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that kind of gets to like what Luther said, too, about being consoled in some ways to see the failings of the Old Testament saints, right? Like, on the one hand, it's 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 scary and sobering, like you said, you know, well, if David could, could uh, be tempted like this, you know, if David could stumble in such temptation, right, then what kind of self-control— or, or uh, you know, ability to resist this or confidence should I think that I have, right? Um, so it's sobering in that, in that respect. But then also, um, as I think to, to what Luther was saying, like, hey, look, you know, if even David, you know, did this sort of thing, then, you know, maybe I <laughs> can see that I, I'm a, a sinner who's undergoing sanctification. And I don't have to, like Luther was struggling with, count myself as someone who's totally outside of uh, the activity of the spirit. So, uh, yeah, certainly. Well, uh, it's it's uh, already we're almost uh, heading up on the, the ten minute mark. So let's go ahead and get this thing read here, shall we? So we've got David and Bathsheba, chapter eleven of Second Samuel in the English Standard Version. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I'm pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite, and Joab sent Uriah to David. When David, when Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing, and how the people were doing, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. When they told David, Uriah did not go down to his house. David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark in Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Then shall I go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, Remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank so that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting, and then draw back from him, that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. 
Then Joab sent and told David all the news about the fighting, and he instructed the messenger, When you finish telling all the news about the fighting to the king, then if the king's anger rises, and if he says to you, Why did you go so near to the city to fight? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, the son of Jerubasheth? Did not a woman cast an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died at Thebes? Why did you go so near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent him to tell. The messenger said to David, The men gained an advantage over us and came out against us in the field, and we drove them back to the entrance of the gate. Then the archers shot at your servants from the wall. Some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. David said to the messenger, Thus shall you say to Joab, Do not let this matter displease you, for the sword devours now one and now another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it, and encourage him. When, your, when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her into his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. It really is a most remarkable chapter in, in many ways. I, I think that you, uh, it, it's in some ways, it, it kind of reminds me back about the chapter where they take Jerusalem. Uh, I mean, it's very earthy, the, the conversation um, and, and what David's up to, right? You know, like, and, and you, you have to, this is one of those things where it's like, if you're a child reading this, you're not going to pick up on it. But, you know, things like he wants Uriah to, to go back to his house so that it'll look like it's his baby and not David's, right? Like, I mean, like, you get into that kind of stuff and, and it's, you're just kind of like standing back like, wow, you know, like this is a point where David's career recorded in scripture here sinks down in the level of like, you know, daytime soap opera or something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's just remarkable for just the, the real transparent, candid look at, at David here. Um, and just the storytelling also, just all the different elements that just highlight, I think, in many ways that, that this is wrong in many more ways than one. One of the commentaries that I consulted in preparation, uh, the commentator said, the Holy Spirit is a very honest biographer. And yeah. that is certainly the case here, because, you know, in, in the ancient world and in many places today, uh, the people who write about uh great men, kings, presidents, uh, people in high places, people who have accomplished a lot, you gloss over their weaknesses and would just talk about all the good stuff. And that was especially yeah. true in the ancient world of kings, yeah. that when you would write the account of somebody's reign, you tell all the That's good right. things he did, and, and you may not even mention any of his faili failures or failings, uh, certainly not sins and, and things like this. But the Holy Spirit reveals these things very clearly to us, so that even though the Bible, on the one hand, speaks about David as a man after God's heart, a man uh, through whom God did wonderful things, that, you know, he, he slew the, the giant Goliath, he won victory after victory uh, of, over the foes surrounding them, and, and their territory increased, and the kingdom increased. Yet even such a man of God 
uh, has feet of clay and is still also subject to temptation and to sin. And so Mm -hmm. these things are written for our learning, as the Holy Scripture would say, so that we, by patience and comfort of God's holy word, may may find uh, both that word of warning uh, and also a call to repentance and also the promise of forgiveness that you're going to hear about in the next chapter. And yeah. and we need we need both. We need that warning. We need that accusing voice of the law to bring us to a realization of our own failings and our own sin, but then also for the purpose of bringing us back to Christ, who is the son of David and uh, our crucified, risen, and uh, ascended Savior and Lord, who promises full and free forgiveness. We want to be sure that gets told here too. There's a lot of law in this this chapter, and and we're going to talk about a law a lot yeah. of law as we yeah. walk our way through it now. Yeah, yeah, that's it, I think a really good balanced uh, overview of the chapter. I think on the law side of things, the, the chapter is uh, it's it's very important for the logic of the entirety of Second Samuel. Um, for it to be organized like this. We're going to see later when we get into everything with Absalom and everyone else, Like it ultimately all comes back to this, it comes back to the curse um, that was laid on him by the prophet, which mirrors then the curse that was laid upon Saul by Samuel, um, you know, God's justified curse, you know, and uh, it reminds me of the conversation we had just uh, a few days ago with uh, Pastor John Lekomsky. You know, he he's kind of fond of, uh, I, I'm trying to remember if I get the saying right here, but uh, basically, you know, you you have to bring up the death penalty, uh, and then he'll say something along the lines of like, "Well, you know, because the thing is with God, you know, everyone gets the death penalty, right?" And and he's just making the point that you know, at the end of everyone's life, it is deserved, and and that's a that's a very you know, I mean, that's a profound thing and also a you know, a sobering thing, but I, I think that in the story of First Samuel, Second Samuel, First Kings, Second Kings. I mean, really going back even to Deuteronomy and um, to Joshua, you you find out about these failures, but each time the narrator has developed it very well, so that we understand that these failures and these uh, these you know, mishaps they're ultimately deserved in every single generation, in every single administration. Um, and so every time a king dies and his power goes on to another, it's not like they were innocent, and neither is David. Correct. And uh, on our own, we're, we're all a bunch of failures, and so it, it heightens all the more the sweetness of the gospel and, and the goodness of God's amazing grace that he cares about sinners who are wretched, even as King David fell into great wretchedness here. Do we have time to, be, to before the break to begin that first paragraph? Let's take a look at some of these features here. In this is a very this is a very interesting way that the chapter begins. In, in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, um, and, and just that phrase all by itself. I mean, it's actually received a little bit of attention, but I, I mean, it's it's sort of an odd sentence, right? Because from our perspective, we're either thinking to ourselves. Wow, this is a really nonchalant way to talk about, you know, uh, going to war like it's football season or something, right? Or I guess baseball season. Um, you know, on on the other hand, you know, is it is it like a really more specific time, right, where it's kind of zooming in um, in a very 
uh, very, I guess, stylized, very, um, really, really vivid storytelling mode. Um, anyway, well, and then you good. even on verse two, like it happened late one afternoon, right? Like, what, what do you make of the zooming in here? Well, I, you know, I think there, there are a couple of things here. He's telling he's telling this story, and, and not a, not a made up story. This is historical narrative, but told in a very interesting way. You know, so as, as a person reads this, you can you can relate to it. And so the details tell us, you know, the time of year that it happened, and in spring. You know, a, a young man's thoughts lightly turn to love, right? Isn't that even sort of a, an expressed in today? Huh. And so, yeah, so we think of that. Of course, he mentions that kings go out to war. And so a couple of things here. You know, kings would go out to war in the spring when, if the rain stops and stuff, and now you have uh, more favorable weather to to go out and, and fight your foes. That could be a, a matter. But another thing it kind of sets us up is, you know, David has uh, been— a, anointed as king, and one of the duties of the king often is to lead the people in battle, to lead the armies in warfare, which David had done for a long, long time, even before he was king. But now that he is the king, now that he has won a lot of battles, now that he's kind of uh, settling into the comfortable position of being powerful and successful Mm -hmm. and victorious, now it's interesting that he does not personally go out to lead the army, but sends Joab, the commander of his army, and I think it's yeah. like a nephew, isn't he? Jo- Joab's a nephew as well as the commander yeah, of his army. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. So he sends Joab out, while uh, and they are ravaging the Ammonites. And again, the Ammonites, for our listeners, you need to know they were enemies of Israel, and they were on the east side of the Jordan River. That was right. where their territory was. That's where Rabbah was, which is kind of where... Today, that'd be like Amman, Jordan, I think, in that region. So if you're familiar with geography okay. today, so it'd be where Amman, Jordan is. And uh, so they ravaged the Ammonites, they besieged their city, but David remained in Jerusalem. And that's a, a kind of a key thing here. I mean, it's a historical yeah. fact, but we're being told that because instead of mm-hmm. being out there with his army fighting, he's... Uh, in Jerusalem. Now, it doesn't say anything more than that. We don't know why he stayed back. Was he being lazy? Was he neglecting his duties? Was he uh, wavering in some way? Was he sick? You know, so there's there's nothing uh, condemning that, but hmm. it, we're, we're aware of the fact that something is unusual about that, and and it leads into the temptation that follows. Hmm. That's that's interesting, and I and actually just uh, you you kind of emphasizing that maybe made something catch my eye, um, you know, because there's a little there's an ambiguity in the English translation here, you know. But David remained at Jerusalem. Remain is there's an ambiguity in English because it can either come off as a as a verb of um, like you actively do something, or it's like something that's kind of just passively going on. And so, like, uh, you, you can either say, you know, well, they they went this way, but David remained, remained. right? Uh, uh, in that yeah. sense, it's like you're saying, well, he didn't go, all right? Like, instead of going, like you're kind of saying, instead of going, like, maybe he should have, he stayed back, right? So that that's one thing, that's one way you could take it, reading it in English. But the other way is, uh, like, this kind of passive state of thing, like, but he was— like remaining in Jerusalem, you know, like, so you just say like, you know, some people remained or this many remained for X many years or something or X many days. It just kind of means that's what was happening. And in that reading, 
you don't necessarily get that sense that it's kind of judging David. It's just kind of saying, this is what was going on. And uh, so, I mean, yeah, that's, that's kind of interesting that in English you're like, ooh, like, is there a hint of that there? Uh, but the, and actually in Hebrew, though, the ambiguity is gone. It's not the kind of active dynamic verb. It's just the one that says he was just he was back there at the time. So that's 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 really fascinating. OK, I want to ask you like your thoughts on that when we get back. But we got to take our break. Everybody, we're looking at Second Samuel, chapter 11 here on Nice Strong Word. We'll be right back. of Grace Lutheran Church in Wellsville, Missouri, welcome you to join them for Sunday school and adult Bible class on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock, followed by the divine service at 10 o'clock. Holy Communion is celebrated the first, third, and fifth Sundays. For more information about Grace, contact the church office at 573-684-2106 or visit our website, graceinwellsville.com. Also, check us out on Facebook. Some music has the power to make you sit very still. Other music makes you want to stand up and move, and still other music almost compels you to sing along. You're likely to experience all three kinds on the next Sing for Joy. Join us. Sundays at noon on KFUO, the messenger of good news. Did you know that for over 40 years, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries with low-cost loans and resources? This is Rahema Kavuga, Synod Relations Manager of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. Because of faithful investors like you, we've been able to help church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations. To learn how you can get involved, call 800-843-8233. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa, looking at 2 Samuel chapter 11 here today. I want to thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Thank you guys for your support of Thy Strong Word, lhfmissions.org. Looking here at David and Bathsheba, talking about how this story is just narrated unlike any other. I mean, the narrative really slows down. You know, it's not like you get, you know, a whole war described in just like two verses, right? This is like man, this is like hour by hour, day by day kind of stuff here. Uh, fascinating. If you've got a question or comment for us on just, you know, quite the memorable key chapter here, give us a call if you're listening live, 1-800-730-2727, or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. You can also send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org, or you can hop on the live stream, post your comments or questions right there in the box, facebook.com slash Espinosa. We're joined today by our guest, Pastor Warren Worth, pastor at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Arnold, Missouri, where they are doing okay, all things considered, by God's grace. And we were just looking at this uh, the zooming in function, I was just saying, yeah, I, I think that when you look at the Hebrew and you see the participle there, 
it's not saying, um, and he instead remained in Jerusalem, but rather while that was going on, this is where he was. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, there's nothing explicitly condemnatory there, it's, it's, but it is setting up what's going to follow. That's the whole point. So we're told the historical fact that it's spring and that when it mentions kings going out to battle, it's noteworthy that David is not in battle. His army is, Joab leading and commanding the army as they go against the Ammonites, but David is in Jerusalem, and that leads to what follows, both the temptation that follows and also the the contrast with Uriah, who is one of his valiant men out there in the battle, who then gets called back. And so let's talk about the temptation and, and who this Uriah is and and, and see, see what happens there. Okay, yeah, we, we can uh, skip down a few verses. I, I think that the other, um, the, the last point then on, on this little introduction, uh, aside from actually the Hebrew clarifying that, uh, no, it's, it's not that, you know, it's like, you know, he did this instead of that, um, like it's a failing. But the other thing, too, with the way it just really zooms in like this, I think you mentioned this before, you know, everything is going right for David, right? I mean, in the last chapter, you know, he's he's being merciful, he's being faithful, he shows that that loyalty to Mephibosheth. So it's like, he's just impeccable, right? But I think the way it zooms in like this, it really kind of intuitively just conveys this, hey guys, David, he had a heart after God's own. He did lots and lots of really good, faithful things the entire time he was king, except for this one time, this one spring in that one month where they usually get going, this one day, this one late afternoon, I mean, it has the effect of saying, look, just one little mishap this one day in the midst of years and years of faithfulness can send everything crashing down. I, I think that's, that's an unmistakable narrative point that, uh, again, just accents and brings home the point you were making. So when we look at the, uh, the temptation, like, like you were saying here, right? Um, he, he's just, it doesn't seem like he's going out and looking for temptation, but it's just right there. Um, in front of his two eyes, right? Exactly. So when it says it happened late one afternoon, some translations say in the evening. So David arose from his couch and is walking on the roof of the king's house. So you have to kind of think of him going outside of his bedroom and having kind of a a terrace outside uh, where he could... You know, and that was frequently the case, but especially in in a palace like this where he would have a place where he could go out and on that roof, look out over the city. He would have been higher up than than other buildings around. And while he's walking around on, on the roof there, on this uh, place where he has some uh, chance to stretch his legs and relax, he saw from the roof a woman bathing. Um, and she was very beautiful. And it, that's, that's striking, too, that it mentions her great beauty. But mm-hmm. again, we're filled with all kinds of questions that are not answered, so we have to be careful and not to, <laughs> yeah. to speculate. Yeah. So that he could see her bathing, was she deliberately doing something provocative? Was this intended to be, mm-hmm. I hope you're watching, or is it just perchance? You know, there's nothing in this chapter that really lays blame on her, and so there's nothing here that says specifically that this was 
intended on her part to be tempting. It's, it seems as if it's almost just by chance that at that very moment, you know, he's at the right place, or we might say the wrong place at the right time or the wrong yeah. time, that he looks and sees her. She's very beautiful. But what happens is it's what you do with the temptation, right? You know, as uh, theologians have said, you can't keep the birds flying from, from flying over your head, but you don't That's let right. That make nests in your hair, and that's yep. kind of the problem here. So that he saw her is one thing, but now he sends and inquires about her, and yeah. Yeah. so so you see the devil has taken hold of his heart here. So we see that you know in the in the Ten Commandments we have a commandment about coveting. So even before one does the act, the very fact that in your heart you want something, that is already a sin, and we see that taking hold of David's heart here. He sees her, he wants her, so he sends and inquires about her, and he gets an answer, right? The, the person who comes back, the servant no. says, this is not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, no. the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now, right away, that should have, uh, you know, raised an alarm in his eyes, in his heart, in his mind. Oh, Uriah! My friend, my valiant soldier, who's fighting for me right now. Well, I'm I'm taking it easy here in Jerusalem, and he's out there uh, making sacrifice, you know, of of his time and his effort, risking his life for me uh, out on the battlefield. Um, so that already should have been a warning to him, but he doesn't take it as such, uh, because the very next verse says, "So he sent messengers and took her." Uh, and you know that that right there it, it's so few words and yet yeah. so yeah. powerful as they they paint the picture that so Jesus ignored or not Jesus rather David David was ignoring the the warning here David ignored it and and instead rushed headlong in here he sent messengers took her she came to him and lay with her he lay with her so again one might, in our day and age, we might say, well, you know, it takes two to tango, so she was guilty too. And we're not saying she was not guilty, but the emphasis in this chapter is not on her guilt, her being a, a Bathsheba being a temptress or something like this. Right. This chapter really focuses on him, a man of yeah. God who was blessed in such a special way to be the king, to be successful. And now here in, in this moment of weakness, uh, Satan enters his heart in this way that he wants this beautiful woman and he uh, sends messengers to take her. He lies with her and uh, and the rest is sadly history. And, and yeah. one must also remind oneself here that it's not like David didn't already have a wife. He had multiple wives already. So you would think that there's really... What's the need? <laughs> Do you need one more? But, you know, sometimes, again, our sinful flesh can be insatiable. And in this case, where he already had other wives, he already had everything that he wanted or needed. He was a mm -hmm. rich man, yet, you know, Satan, you know, has yeah. zero in. Well, exactly I right. want this woman right now. And, and again, Adam and Eve had the pick of every single tree in the garden except for this one there in the middle that Satan was putting a big sign up in front of, right? Just that one we can't have. Right. And, and you know, and, and again, we look in the mirror to say, 
this this is about David, but it's also about you. It's about me. It's about every Christian that we should see ourselves in this and realize our own weakness and yeah. how Satan often uh, uses our sinful flesh and and does a number on us. You know, it's, it's just when you let him who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall, and that would certainly be the case here. David, you know, thought he was standing. He was secure. He was victorious. He was a man of God, and yet. Satan was able to use his sinful flesh and his desires here to get him to do this terrible thing, to take somebody else's wife, to lie with her, and to get her pregnant. So the whole business here about having purified herself from her uncleanness, so the bathing, the purifying, had to do with the the time in her monthly cycle, so that now she was was at a time of fertility. So when when they um, made love, then she did conceive and sent word to him, I'm with child. And so that there you have the the beginning of the crisis. So, okay, we're, we're at a one of the key moments in this chapter. Uh-oh, uh oh, yeah. I thought I was going to get away with this, but now well, I'm I'm right, not. I'm right. going to get oh, caught. Yeah. He's going to add sin sin to sin, right? I mean, it's like you were pointing out earlier. Um, it's it's not that he you know he goes and gets news about her, and you know it's like oh okay she's married. I guess I shouldn't do that, right? Um, it just goes from bad to worse. Um, before we get to the, the, the cover-up, right, um, and then the murder, uh, we have a question on the phone here. So just kind of like, like tying this, like just putting it to the side for a moment here, uh, talking about, you know, the, the extent to which Bathsheba might also share in the guilt, I think is a really big point that we got to talk about uh, by the end here. But here we got James on the phone. Good morning, James. Good to hear from you. I saw you sent in some questions uh, kind of dealing with, you know, was, was this avoidable? I mean, if this was God's plan, then then what do we make of it, right? Yes, yes. I like to kind of divide that up so I can get the expertise yeah. of, of both of you good pastors. Yeah. Um, I'd like to ask you, the moderator, uh, just that. Uh, was it God's will that the line of the Messiah come through David and Bathsheba? Mm-hmm. And was that not uh, a dawn for them to be, I mean, ordained, I guess, Yeah. for them to to be together as we follow the narrative of, of the story through the yeah. end. Um, That's an intriguing our, question. Guest pa- yeah, and for our guest pastor, and for you, uh, guest pastor, I'd like to know when we as believers are, are followers of God, try to do God's will our way, are we dabbling in deceit like David? Uh, hmm. Is this a fortunate fall? Did God take David's evil intentions and make them good for us all? Is this a kind of fortunate fall for David to uh, Mm. get with Bathsheba so that we can, in the end, have the Messiah, our Christ? And I'll I'll hang up and listen. Yeah. Thanks, James. Those are some, yeah, really intriguing questions here. So, uh, so, so yeah, Pastor Worth, I think he was uh, given that first one, or um, the one— I have listed first here on my notes here that he just sent in you over the email as well. Um, but yeah, so if we dabble in deceit, how can we be purified for our uncleanness, he was saying? What do you make of that? Okay, well, the purifying for our uncleanness is only through the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son. But I wanted to, but why, as I understood the question, it was, did he ask if it was a fortunate fall? And I would say, no, well, the, yes. fall, yeah. the fall was not fortunate. I think we need to be very clear about this because we can deceive ourselves. And in fact, there are even people that say Adam and Eve's 
fall was a fall up, that it was good that they disobeyed God. And it's no, 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 no. It's never good when we disobey God. That is evil. That is always horrid. But our gracious God is able to take bad things and bring good out of evil. That's because of his goodness and grace, not because of our of our sins. So, you no, know, it was not fortunate that David did this. And in, in regard to, the, yes, the Messiah did eventually come through uh, David and Bathsheba, uh, not their first child here, that is from this uh, conception, but later it's King Solomon uh, that is the one through whom uh, the line progresses. But you know, God would have made sure that the Messiah came from David's line anyway. He had already promised that. So the the incident with, with Bathsheba is not a good thing. What's good is that God is merciful and that God forgave David, as you'll hear about in the next chapter, and that uh, even... God even is able to bring good out of evil, so that ultimately, yeah. when you read Matthew's gospel, the introduction there with the genealogy, you know, notice that Bathsheba isn't mentioned by name, it's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. That's how yeah. she gets referred to. But So J- Jesus came into this world from a line of sinful people. Even the great people like Abraham, great people like King David, were still sinful people. And yet through this line of sinful people comes the sinless one, Jesus, the great David's greater son, who then is the Redeemer, whose blood cleanses us from all sin. And and so we don't want to say that it was good that they fell into sin, but it's good that God did something in spite of that. And that it's written mm-hmm. for our learning, so that we can be both warned against sin and led to repent of our sin and look to Jesus, the Son of David, for our forgiveness. Yeah, that, I appreciate the the way you thoughtfully addressed that there, because, yeah, there were, there were kind of those two aspects, um, or, or two, I was thinking it's two separate questions, but, uh, but yeah, I think kind of a lot of this kind of getting at that fundamental question of, you know, hey— what's going on here is god behind this like to what extent is are are we responsible is god responsible um and i think that 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 kind of came out too in the question that he was uh james was directing towards me um just you know what was it god's will that the messiah come through david and Bathsheba? and so really i could just um it's not really a different answer really from what you were saying but just kind of building on it i mean i think that people for a long time have asked questions like well now hang on a second like wasn't wasn't the wasn't Easter God's will, right? Wasn't like the cross God's will, um, you know? And so then, wasn't it God's will then that you know Adam and Eve fall into sin? Because um, I mean, it's hard. You can see how you just fall into it very easily, right? You're just like, well, if if Jesus has to come die for our sins, then we got to have sins. Um, and and so you kind of there's also some like different scripture verses that people have pointed to to try to like say this too. Um, and so it's a, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a disturbing thought, I think, in some ways. I think Augustine dealt with it because it goes to the idea of, okay, um, yeah, are, are we somehow adding to the goodness of God's creation with our evil then, right? Because, hey, look, we introduced sin, and now God can be selfless and sacrifice himself and die on the cross and do all those sorts of things, and it's even better in the end, right? Um, but I, I think that there's the... Uh, I think that that result is kind of the the alarm bell that says, no, hang on a second, I'm not thinking about this right. Uh, just because there is a, a final plan at the end, right, that, you know, God and man would be together uh, again, that there would be this unity, 
in Christ, that there would be an incarnation, right? Like, none of that actually requires sin, right? I mean, this, this, is, uh, this is something that some of the early church fathers talked about, but, you know, you know God, God could just have, like, a, a people that doesn't sin, and, uh, you know, he says, you know, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth in one of those days, right? Including, uh, you know, David and Bathsheba, right? You know, like, like, like they're, they're husband and wife, and that's, like, the line that the Messiah goes down through. Um, and then one day, it goes from good to better, right? Because now, here, look, God is incarnate in their midst. Um, so, I mean, I think that that's the problem. It's, it kind of takes more imagination than I think we're accustomed to, but none of our sin um, helps God or, like, furthers his plan along. Yeah, he, he does things despite our sins so that his goodwill is achieved anyway, but there's nothing about um, our theology that says that God preordained David's adultery. It didn't have to be that way. Correct. And I think that's what we want to make it clear, that <clears throat> that sin is not God's fault. You know, God, in spite of our sin, you've got God's antecedent will and God's consequent will. So, yeah. you know, God, you know, when when bad things happen and sin enters the world, God's going to do something about it. And he knew ahead of time what he was going to mm-hmm. do. But that doesn't make sin good. It's, we're not going to say, let us sin all the more so that grace may abound. But we don't have a lot of time left, so we probably need to get back to the text. Yeah, that's right. I, I, we're, and we're not going to go verse by verse here. We're just going to take a look at a couple of the last key points here. Um, so the, the one that I wanted to focus on, I want to ask you maybe, I think, if we just kind of each take one here. Uh, the one that I wanted to focus on was getting to what you were saying about, about um, the, the guilt, right? To what extent is, um, is Bathsheba... Uh, complicit, because I think I think this is. I'm just thinking about just everything with uh, with Me Too and um, feminism of the last 20, 30 years, right? Like, uh, there's a strong feminist reaction in this chapter against this depiction that oh, like it's David and Bathsheba, like it's you know, it, it's it shouldn't it be David sinning against Bathsheba? So there's I think a couple elements too in the second part of the chapter that kind of help answer that question. So that's kind of like my big one. Is there is there one kind of like big point in the second half of the chapter that, that you think you really want to help bring out? Well, I mean, we see that one sin leads to another. It's like a domino yeah. effect. So there was coveting, and then his lust for her led to the act of adultery, and then that she gets pregnant, then he compiles, puts more sin on top of that in terms of trying to cover up. <clears throat> and in the cover up, you know, he's a hypocrite and he's trying to cover up with lies and you know, try to make it look, well, it's not my baby, it's it's uh, Uriah's baby. But, you know, and the astounding thing here is that, that Uriah has this sense of honor yeah. that he is unwilling to go home and sleep with his wife when you think anybody in his right mind who has leave and he comes back from the yeah. battlefront, isn't that the right. first thing you're going to do is you're going to go home and, and be with your mm-hmm. wife? But, no, his sense of honor is, nope, I'm not going to do that while uh, the soldiers or my, my band of brothers, they're out there fighting. I will not do that. And so that foils David's yeah. plot where he was going to try to cover his tracks. So then you see even more sin when David says, well, this guy's got to die, and he sends a letter by the hand of Uriah. So that's, again, this man is so honorable, he doesn't peek inside to see what the letter says, but it's his death sentence. It's his death sentence. And, And it's a very scary thing to see how 
from the lust of David's heart, it led to not only adultery, but then to murder, and not only to one man being murdered, because these other soldiers who were with him, when the retreat was called and they were left alone there close to the wall, other soldiers also died. And so their, you know, somebody else's sons or husbands right. and fathers mm-hmm. were, were killed there, too. So it just gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse. So once again, there's a very stern warning to all of us. If we think that we're standing firm, we have to take heed lest we fall, because Satan and our sinful flesh can lead us into terrible sin from which there would be no hope of return except for Christ. And that's, you know, yes, we want to get back to the descendant of King David came to redeem us from our sins so that there could be forgiveness for a repentant David, and there's forgiveness for repentant people like you and me. Yeah. Uh, Thank you for for just lining that out really nicely. I I mean, there there is, right, just a a domino effect. Um, One one of the uh, commenters on Facebook said, you know, it's in like in this one chapter, David breaks all ten commandments, and it's like, yeah, right. I mean, like, because you like you were saying, you 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 go from the the adultery to um, well, I mean, and I think in some ways too, like using um, the name of God, like just misusing his God given authority, right, and just going into the lying, and then what ends up being like you were saying, not just the murder really of Uriah, but all those other people who got killed by his negligence, by the king sending out people into harm's way unnecessarily, right? And that, that's underscored in the stuff with Joab. Um, I like that you brought that out. It brings us actually to one of the Facebook questions, which is, uh, do you think Joab had it out for Uriah? Uriah probably had been one of the best men of Israel who helped Joab win the previous battle against the Ammonites, but Joab seems to favor what's expedient regardless of God's law and the trail of bodies it leaves. Um, Uriah seems to want to follow God's law and King's commands, even past the letter and spirit of the law. So uh, is there like a juxtaposition there where, where Joab has it out for him? Um, I don't know. Really, really quickly, what do you think? I, I, it's not made clear that Joel, Joab had something in for uh, Uriah, but he seems both his friendship and his, his love for David, he's w- willing to comply. And we see that Joab was willing to uh, kill people to advance his own career in other cases, too. This, the, the Old Testament story of David and, and the other kings of Judah uh, is full of bloodshed. There's a lot of assassination. There's yeah. jealousy. There's revenge killings. So, yeah. again, there, the sinful flesh comes out in all of these characters. It's shocking. And again, what stands out all the more is God's amazing grace. It's not because these guys were good. Not that they're, they're better a cut above the rest of us. They were dirty, rotten sinners just like you, yeah. just like me. And, well, and so we need to look in the mirror and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Because when I see yeah. the shocking sins of them, I see the shocking sins of my own and repent of them. Well, yeah, and I, and I think that that's well said, because we actually, I think, can can relate to Joab perhaps a little bit more than, than we want to let on. Because, you know, we think to ourselves, well, most of us aren't in a position that we're you know, overseeing men, and we send men to their death because we you know, implement a bad battle strategy. But you brought it out nicely. Joab, I think, right, is not really—I I agree with you. I, I don't think there's anything that says that he— has it out for Uriah, but he just wants to advance his own career. And that, at the end of the day, I think is the only thing that Joab is indicating that he's interested in, right? Um, because he goes and he, uh, you know, he, he gets he gets the, the assignment, and then he has this messenger, right? Um, and he's got this messenger. I mean, isn't this fascinating? Uh, it's like when, you, when, you're, when you're done telling him the actual news, 
right? <laughs> if he gets angry, now, now what's he talking about, right? Like, well, because if the you know, if your, your general messes up, right, it's like, well, we might punish the general, demote the general, exile the general. I mean, all kinds of things could happen to him. So if he gets angry, like he's going to pin this on me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Now, hang on. I'm not taking the fall for this, uh, you know, the, the, this loss of life here. And so he specifically tells the servant to mention your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also, right, to say like, oh, right, you know. And so this is his clever way of saying, hey, don't hold it against me. I got the guy dead. That's what it costs. So I, I think you're you're absolutely right that this is showing how, um, yeah, we, we actually, in the pursuit of our own career, Wanting to make sure that, you know, nothing falls bad on us or that we don't have opportunities withheld from us or, you know, anger our superiors. We're even willing, yes, to, in fact, kill people. And that's, uh, well, I mean, that's just something that Kip Allen was talking about at the top of the hour. Um, you know, one just, other thing I think we should mention before this, before we end, look at the very yeah. last verse. The yeah. thing that David had done displeased the Lord, you know, yeah. so that what an understatement that is, and yet it's all-encompassing. With After yeah. all that is recorded as historical narrative, David did this and this and this and this, then the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So at the very end, that last paragraph, when David marries her, he might look like a hero to some people. You marry yeah. the widow of your soldier, but then that one sentence— what David had done displeased the Lord. So there's your law condemning David. And um, yeah. and notice that the emphasis was on David, not Bathsheba here. Yeah, so right. David did something displeasing to the Lord, but that sets us up for the next chapter where God sends Nathan to call into repentance, that there may be forgiveness. And I think for us today, we need to take that to heart too. Yeah, what we yeah. do displeases God when we sin and disobey him. And it's only because of Jesus, you know, yeah. the one in whom God is well pleased, his own beloved son, that we have forgiveness. And that's what we always want to end with. That's a, that's a great point. And um, I, I think it's, it's, a, it's an ominous sentence, right? You know, because I, I think it's meant to deliberately counter um, if we think to ourselves, oh, so I guess he got away with it, right? He, I mean, he gets the girl in the end, he gets a kid, you know, uh, I, I guess the sinner does become, uh, you know, uh, better off, right, by his sin. Uh, but like you said, uh, no, he's going to have to answer for it. And that phrase there, displeased the Lord, it uh, did a bad thing in his eyes. I mean, we're reminded, yeah, God is always watching, um, you know, which is, yeah, that's a word of law. But as you were saying, also a word of gospel that he is with us everywhere, um, ready always to forgive. So, uh, yeah, just too many things that, you you know, you can talk about here. Thank you so much, brother. Enjoyed the conversation. God bless. Everybody, it's Pastor Warren Worth, Good Shepherd, Arnold, Missouri. Going on to a psalm here that ties into this next week. Till then, I'm Pastor H.J. Espinosa. Peace. to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.